Welcome to Meet Me at the Movies. I am Noel T. Manning II, hanging out with Thomas Manning over here to my right, uh, Mr. Uh, Ultra Runner, uh, Thomas Manning, and uh, Greg Tillman uh, back there on the Tim Cam. Uh, he's back with us, uh, or we're back with you. Uh, yeah, he's, he's working on something. Oh, yeah, and there's, there's Elvis Nomsley, uh, our mascot. Good to see Elvis Nomsley uh, back as well. We do talk movies right here because we can. Uh, and we do accept viewer and non-viewer mail. You can send that to us at info at c19.tv. And Thomas, we've got some uh, non-viewer mail that relates to you. It's yeah. specifically to you. Uh, this does come from uh, Jimmy and Janie Reese from Faustin. So thanks for, uh, for not watching. Uh, they say, Thomas, we noticed that you started growing this stash. Uh, my wife and I are wondering if this was inspired by Ron Swanson, Ted Lasso, Tom Selleck, Goose's son in Top Gun Maverick or 14-year-old Noel Manning. So I, I give you a chance to respond to, to Jimmy and Janie Reese. Well, I think it was, you know, the Top Gun, since that was the event of the summer that just had a bit of an imprint <laughs> right? on me. However, looking back in the family legacy, I, I guess it's only fitting that it lines up as perfectly as it does. I, I don't know <laughs> if we have that picture with us right now, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah, it's, it'll, be, it'll be up there. Oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah you know, you, you actually do resemble Noel Manning from 14 years yeah. old. That's yeah. pretty amazing, and it took you how long to get to that point where you could grow uh, a mustache? Yeah. We're not going to say how old I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was talking to Greg uh, before before we went to air, and and he was like, "Really? That was 14 years old that you had that mustache? Yeah." And and uh, yeah, yep. Yeah. 13 was when when it started coming in, and 14 was when it was the full mustache. Oh, congrats to you for that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, man. And congrats to you for finally being able to grow a mustache. Yeah, so you're more biologically advanced than the rest of us. It's, it's fine. It's all right. Well, uh, you, you've gone through de-evolution, so that is okay. Uh, and speaking of advanced civilizations, or those that have been around for a long time, uh, the first movie we're going to talk about uh, comes from MGM. This is 3,000 Years of Longing. Uh, George Miller uh, is back doing uh, films again. Uh, he, he, you know, he retires, he comes back. He retires, he comes back. We know him from the Mad Max franchise and a lot of other things too, but Mad Max Fury Road 2015 was the last time that we, we saw his work. Is that right? That's it, yeah. And he's currently in production on Furiosa, which is, I believe, a prequel yeah. to Mad Max Fury Road, and it's going to have Anya Taylor-Joy in it. And uh, actually, at the time of recording, he's doing an uh, Ask Me Anything on Reddit where you, you can go in and ask him a question. He's there on the set of Furiosa just answering questions from fans on the Internet. So that's pretty cool. Uh, and uh, so hopefully he answers my question. I got a question in about the costume design and 3,000 years of longing. Um, so, but I'll get into so, it. So is this, I've heard that this is an adult version of Aladdin. Is that what you would say or not? You think that's, a, that's wrong? Yeah, in a sense, I'd say it's that. But uh, also, of course, Aladdin was inspired by these much more ancient myths. So I'd say it's much 
closer probably to the source material of the ancient myths than Aladdin, Aladdin was. Okay. Um, <laughs> so yes, it's this sweeping adult drama and it's a commentary on the power of storytelling and it's about companionship and fulfillment and it's actually adapted from a short story by uh, A.S. Myatt. And the movie starts out very grounded in reality, but you know I knew going into the into it it was going to shift into something later on, um, shift into the supernatural and just the the mythic and legendary aspects of storytelling. Um, and so when it did make that shift, I was impressed with how organic it felt. Um, so let me put it this way: if you took a frame from the first 15 minutes of the movie and then compared it to a frame from like the middle third of the movie without context, and just put those two side by yep. side, you'd be like, "There's no way this is remotely in the same, you know, in the same realm of, you know, filmmaking." So at there's all. no way it's the same film. Yeah, that's yeah, what, that's yeah. what you would say. Yeah, you saw those two. But okay. the film is uh, structured in such a way that when you're in the moment, it's not it's not distracting how vastly the how uh, vastly different the entire okay. tone of the film is. And so like, I would say for the first two thirds of the film, the way it weaves together these um, you know, different time periods, different locations, um, you know, different um, just visual styles and uh, color palettes across the generations, it's very well constructed. Um, but it's the last third of the movie where it kind of fell off for me. Okay. Um, it was a very conscious decision made, and the last you know, 20, 30 minutes shifts back to that grounded reality, the start of the film. Okay. Um, and that's part of the journey of both the main characters. Uh, Tilda Swinton's character is this like narrative historian, um, college professor, right. and then she encounters Idris Elba's character, who is a djinn, basically a genie who's been trapped in a bottle for 3,000 years. Um, so it was, you know, within the context of the movie, it did make sense that they went back to the reality, um, you know, the grounded reality that right. they started the film out. But it didn't, in the moment, it just kind of frustrated me the way gotcha. it was handled. Yeah. And I was talking to my friend Andrew Eisenman, friend of the show, yeah. and yeah. Uh, he actually saw the film with me. And that, um, that last third worked a whole lot better for him than it did for me. Interesting. And um, it was, I almost feel like, in a sense, the audience was made to feel... Um, it was intentional, intentionally directed that we would feel kind of out of whack, out of balance, okay. because that just kind of goes along with the uh, journey yeah. of Idris Elba's character specifically. But at the same time, it it was just not very enjoyable, and it um, distracted me and took me out of it. Gotcha. And you know, I'm sure if I sat down with George Miller and talked about <laughs> it, I would probably have a better grasp on things. But um, the last. 20 minutes really kind of took a dive for me and uh, inhibited the overall experience of the movie. Well, the cinematographer for this uh, is a John Seal, who actually came out of retirement to do this film with George Miller, and he had previously come out of retirement to do Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, so he's worked with Miller before. So the cinematography, did that click with you at all? Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, like I said, everything in the middle, um, I guess middle like 90 minutes of the film is um, globe trotting and taking you all across different environments all around the world and um, and just the production and costumes production design costume design art direction and the way it's all captured with John Seal cinematography is it's pretty breathtaking and I am glad I got to see it on the big screen um, and you know from a technical standpoint you always know that George Miller is gonna yeah. have uh, something pretty memorable there so 
I would say on uh, you know that pure cinematic spectacle level, it's uh, you know very well constructed. And they had some speed bumps because they were supposed to film this. You talk about different locations. Um, they were supposed to film this in, in Australia, London, and Istanbul, but because of the pandemic, it actually um, sent everything back to Australia. And so I think they did everything in Australia to try to double the locations. Uh, but you felt like the locations looked authentic. They did. They yeah. really did. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, any other thoughts you want to share about uh, three thousand years of longing? Uh, so Idris Elba um, as the Jinn, um, he's, I would say, his. Um, we see the story through his eyes. He okay. is the protagonist ultimately, and uh, he is who this film is about. And his performance is beautiful. Um, and I think. It's, it's pretty funny because I was sitting there within the first 20 minutes, like just looking at his eyes and the way he used his eyes. I was like, there's this, this deep sense of longing behind his eyes. <laughs> wow. And, you know, and then later on, I was like, well, hold on, that's the title. You know, <laughs> I didn't even make that connection. Wow. Ahead, so that, I guess that just speaks to his ability as yeah. an actor. And um, just that's something that really can't be taught. That's yeah. just something that comes from within him, within yeah. his soul. So, he, he is pretty amazing yeah. uh, as, a, as a talent. I'm, I've always, always liked him. So what's your grade for 3,000 Years of Longing in theaters now? I am going to give uh, 3,000 Years of Longing a B minus. Um, I am, I'm looking forward to checking it out again, seeing if that goes up a little bit. And, but ultimately I felt like there were about a dozen different interesting ideas that didn't gel, um, didn't gel for me as well as they should have, or as well gotcha. as uh, Miller intended them to. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we're going to, um, take a slight turn here uh, and, and talk TV uh, and, and, and movies as well. I mean, if you've, if you've been connected to uh, Disney Plus or theaters in the past decade plus, you're familiar with the MCU. Uh, and it seems like every time we turn around, there is something else happening within the MCU, which is the purpose of it. Uh, it's either in a theater or it's going to be happening on your home screens uh, for in Disney Plus. Right now, we're seeing She-Hulk. Uh, that has been released, and uh, this is um, really what Marvel has classified as their first comedy series. Uh, I, to me, Thomas, you, um, you and I both have watched this, um, and I've watched it twice, uh, the first episode. I think the writing really works well. I think the cast is strong, uh, but the CGI, not so much. Yeah, I think, honestly, you and I overall had a different reaction to that first episode. Um, there was a lot, um, a lot more that didn't work for me in here than did work. And it does start with CGI. Uh, obviously, with Mark Ruffalo's Smart Hulk, Professor Hulk, yes. that was designed to have been worked on for years in advance, even um, ahead of Endgame. And so now here we are in 2022, three years after Endgame. I mean, that design is perfected. It looks incredible, right. and um, one of the probably one of the best CGI creations of the past 20 years. Um, however, with She-Hulk character, um, you can tell that. The artist just did not have enough time to you know, work out all the, you know, kind of sand off all the edges and um, make it look, you know, with, with Smart Hulk, it looks rougher and more you know, realistic. But yeah. with her, it just looks too clean and too smooth. And uh, it, it is distracting and took me out a few times. Yeah, and that's, that's always the challenge when you're trying to uh, create lifelike human-like features with CGI. We're not there yet, uh, especially within the eyes and the mouth. Those are the two kind of dead giveaways. And we've, we've been talking about this for a few years now. I'm mean, going back to when Star Wars did uh, Peter Cushing 
and it just completely took me out of that moment. Um, I, I think when you have creatures, you're able to get away with it a, a little bit more, but with the Hulk and She-Hulk, it's, it's a combination of creature-human together, and yeah, you're, the, the, the CGI is not quite there with her, and that was a big complaint with the trailers when they were released, and they, didn't, they still didn't quite clean it up enough. But uh, to me, the, the writing works, the comedy works for me on this. Um, you have a character, She-Hulk basically breaks the fourth wall. And storyline, she is the cousin of, of Bruce Banner, and, and so because of that, there's a car accident, uh, their blood uh, intermingles, and then bam, you know, she takes on these genetic traits uh, of the Hulk. That's kind of the storyline. She's also an attorney at law, and so that plays into the courtroom drama aspect of it, which, which can have some fun. Uh, you already mentioned Mark Ruffalo. There's going to be a lot of cameos and guest appearances throw, uh, showing up during nine episodes, uh, including uh, The Abomination, played by Tim Roth, uh, from an earlier Hulk incarnation, Daredevil, Charlie Cox, uh, and Wong from Doctor Strange. They're all going to be showing up uh, in, in this series. Yeah, and going back to the fourth wall break, I do think that one, that part of the series is handled very well. Um, and it's not used at, to the extreme that Deadpool uses the fourth right. wall break. And I mean, with Deadpool, it works because, you know, he's a different character than She-Hulk. But with her, I think the way they use it as sparingly as they do, yeah. to where it still has weight whenever she does it. And with Deadpool, eventually, it's just become such a part of him that you don't even realize that it's different or right. it's out, out of the ordinary. But with her, it's like when she does it, you're like, oh, I forgot that that's something that she does. Um, so I think that part of it is uh, is threaded in very nicely. And uh, you know, Tatiana uh, Mas Maslany, I believe, her um, I think her embodiment of that character is uh, I think she was a great choice for the role. Yeah, and and she I, I fell in love with her work a while back in a, a TV series on the BBC that I saw called Orphan Black, and she played multiple characters and received uh, Critics Choice Awards and others for her performance performances. Uh, they are a great choice uh, for this character and I'm looking forward to see where this series uh, will, will lead us. Uh, and it is, you know, the, it's not like hour-long episodes, at least not so far. Uh, they're, they're short, almost a uh, little, little over sitcom kind of length, uh, 40 minutes or so, uh, 35 minutes or so plus uh, credits. The end credits are pretty interesting because they're done like courtroom uh, artist renderings which is pretty neat. Uh, that plays into, uh, into what we're, we're seeing. Uh, there's also, in the first episode, there's an interesting reference to Captain America that's a lot of fun, so hang around for the post credit scene uh, for that to, to get the, the joke uh, that goes on. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, what's your rating for She-Hulk? Uh, well, based on the pilot episode, I'll give it a B-, minus, but okay. I do think that that rating is going to grow over time and throughout the season. Okay, for me, a B rating for She-Hulk, and you can find that on Disney+. Plus. We're going to take a quick intermission. Uh, if, uh, Greg Tillman was uh, just speaking to us in our ear. Is that right? Quick intermission, Mr. Tillman? Oh, oh uh, Elvis Nomsley said yes. Intermission time. Intermission time. So hang around for more. We're going to come back and talk about dragons, bodies, and maybe a criminal right here on Meet Me at the Movies.
Hi, I'm Tim Foster from C19 TV. Hi, I'm Fuvio Brooks from C19 Sports. I'm Rob Bruce from KTCBroadcasting.com. Join us for our 20th anniversary of Armchair Quarterback on C19 TV. What's the store on the gridiron in 2022? Every week, we will look at all four Cleveland County High School football teams. Conference foes Burns and Shelby and conference foes Crest and Kings Mountain. We will look at what happened the week before and look ahead at what's coming up this week. We will also break down ACC, SEC, and Gardner Web football. And the entire NFL and, of course, the Carolina Panthers. Nobody covers Cleveland County High School football like armchair quarterback. Don't miss another great season on C19 or online at C19.tv. At CCC, we're all about training students for exciting careers. Our Barber Academy is a great example. Did you know jobs for barbers, stylists, and other related fields are increasing? Competition for the best jobs will be strong. With your CCC training, you'll have a definite edge. Our courses give you the skills and knowledge you need to sit for North Carolina's apprentice barber exam. To move up the ladder, you need at least one year of on-the-job training before you take the state's registered barber exam. If you pass, it's official. You'll be a registered barber. While private barber schools can cost $10,000 or more, CCC makes it affordable. Plus, you can complete our Barber Academy in only 15 months. Now the question is, are you ready to start your journey today? COVID-19 vaccines are safe and effective. Millions of doses have already been given in the United States, and these vaccines have the most intensive safety monitoring in U.S. history. If you have questions, get answers from a reliable source. CDC.gov. Won't you come and meet me at the movies? Won't you come Hello, and Welcome back to Meet Me at the Movies. Noel T. Manning II here with uh, Thomas Manning and uh, Mr. Greg Tillman uh, back on the Tim Cam with uh, Elvis Nomesley, our, uh, our mascot. Uh, we appreciate Elvis uh, making an appearance back on the show again. Uh, it's the perfect year for that with the Elvis movie that came out as well. Well, we're going to talk about a, a movie called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. And is this something, it's like, it sounds like some kind of 1980s spring break film with John Cusack, but that's not what this is, correct? Well, it is in a sense a, it kind of has the vibes of an 80s spring break movie <laughs> that it's a bunch of, you know, 20 somethings gone wild. Um, and <laughs> that happens right here at C19 every day. And, and Greg Tillman has to run out whenever that happens. So uh, go ahead, Thomas. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Yeah, so the premise of it is there are these group of about, you know, six people, uh, most of them girls, they're in this mansion with this hurricane coming. So they, they kind of, you know, huddle up in one of their friend's mansions. They're all very well off. And um, it's very much a, we're not meant to like most of these characters. Okay. Uh, they're people who are supposed to get on our nerves, supposed to kind of annoy us. And they, and they have, do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine like, you know, the whole first world problems that um, that that's a term we hear a lot. But with them, it's like the most first world problems, like to the extreme. Okay. And so. Um, and the best way I can describe this film is it's like Reservoir Dogs meets Knives Out meets Generation Z, you know, the TikTok, okay. the TikTok generation. Okay, okay. And uh, if, if you're not in that 
that age, that audience demographic, yeah. then kind of the stick of this movie can grow stale on you really quickly. Okay. Because um, you but, were telling me that I probably would not appreciate yeah, it. I don't like think you. you'd like it as much as me, but I am specifically in that age range. You know, yeah. I'm 22 and I'm, you know, I'm on TikTok a lot and I consume a lot of media, a lot of social media. Yes. And so I've got a lot of the inside jokes here. Um, but, you know, if for someone like you, who's a little, a little bit older than me. Um, or your, or your, grand, your grandmother. And grandma, grandma, Joyce, grandma Joyce, I don't know. Well, actually, Papa Bear. She, Grandma Joyce might find this pretty funny. Okay. I All feel right. like this is the kind of thing she finds funny. <laughs> okay. But, right. but yeah, if um, if you're kind of outside of that, um, outside of that target audience, it does. Um, there are a lot of things that wouldn't land. So. Okay. All right. Um, so, what makes this? worth seeing from your standpoint anything um yeah yeah <laughs> for sure because i'm you, you're saying it's for your generation but i'm still not sure that you you loved it you said they were the characters annoyed you yeah 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 but it's a lot of fun okay it's, 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 fu it's funny how much how annoying they are okay and um i i think a lot of the uh dialogue is very the dialogue sequences um it's always constructed like a play okay. in that a lot of it is just characters talking back and forth for 10 minutes in the same room with the camera panning all around them. All right, so uh, I, I will probably not go see this yeah, yeah. Uh, based me. on what you're saying. I, I, maybe I'll spend my time watching something else. Yeah. Uh, but what is your, any other thoughts or you're just going to give your rating for this? I'll go and get my rating, uh, you know, solid B plus for bodies, bodies, bodies. And, okay. um, but you know, I do recognize um, that it's not going to be everybody's gotcha. cup of tea. It, have, it has a murder mystery feel to it? Yeah, that's, where the, the knives out? that's where the Reservoir Dogs and Knives Out comes gotcha. in. It's, okay. uh, yeah, I probably should have <laughs> said that up front. But <laughs> yeah. they, Greg, are. what do you think, man? Should he have given us maybe the premise of what the... Yeah, there you well, go. Well, listen, I told you a bunch of rich kids in a hurricane in a mansion. <laughs> and, and you did tell us what it was like. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah you did. You did. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. And what was that rating again? B plus. B plus yeah. for bodies, bodies, bodies. Well, speaking of uh, bodies that show up, uh, and, and many of them not so alive, that happens uh, if, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, you know that there's going to be death and mayhem. Well, there's a prequel uh, series that is out now. Game of Thrones, Thomas Monstrous uh, hit uh, for HBO, eight seasons, 59 Emmy Awards over its run. That's pretty amazing uh, when, when you think about that run. Um, the House of the Dragon is a prequel. It's a 10-episode prequel that follows the House Targaryen. Uh, and they're, of course, the dragon controllers, if, you, if you're familiar uh, with Game of Thrones. And this is set nearly 200 years, give or take, before the events of Game of Thrones. Uh, some of the stars in this, Patty Constantine, uh, Emma D'Arcy, and Matt Smith from Doctor Who, uh, these are the stars uh, in this. Uh, episode one, uh, which was released, it, it attempts to really set the stage with this kind of mass story to get us set up. It does give you uh, understanding of where we are in the timeline. Uh, there's a lot less character development in this first episode. Uh, it's incredibly violent. It's brutal. Uh, and, and one thing I'm going to give you a, a major disclaimer if you're going to watch this, uh, it, it shows a very extremely graphic birth scene um, that uh, I really, I, I, it can turn your stomach. Uh, I had to actually mute the volume and turn away uh, when this scene was going on. Uh, just like Game of Thrones, very heavy uh, adult ma uh, material uh, from a political standpoint, the action standpoint, um, and the, the graphic nudity, all of those things 
that you had in Game of Thrones, you're going to have in this prequel series as well. Uh, first episode really is high on production value. You can tell they put the money into this nice cast. Uh, but I think uh, for me, I felt that they were doing too much trying to set up the story. And that happens a lot of times with, with pilots or first episodes. Sometimes they don't quite click. And this one's not quite there. Um, but I think it's probably going to happen. I've got faith that it's going to kind of self-correct uh, as we go along. But right now I'm kind of sitting at a B- minus for that first episode. Uh, I, I liked it, but I didn't absolutely love it like I, I came to love Game of Thrones. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, who are the uh, like directors and producers behind this one? Are they connected? Were they connected to the other yep, Game of Thrones? Absolutely yeah. connected yeah. Connected to the original. Yeah, yeah. 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 Awesome. But uh, I know you're wanting to see it, uh, and you were hoping to see it, but that's kind of my thought. Now, Greg, were you a Game of Thrones uh, fan as well? Did you watch? You never watched it? Yeah. Yeah, well, if you, if you like Shakespeare, if you like House of Cards, uh, this is kind of like, you know, Shakespeare, House of Cards. With dragons. With dragons. So there you go. Uh, House of Dragon, House of the Dragon from HBO uh, is available now. All right, Thomas, uh, we're, we're going to talk about The Criminal. You've got a couple minutes to talk about Emily the Criminal. Yeah, I'll talk about Emily the Criminal starring uh, Aubrey Plaza. And uh, I think a lot of us know her from Parks and Rec and uh, her, her just very deadpan style of delivery on everything, whether it's humor or um, just, you know, or just regular character acting. Um, she is very monotonous in a way, but it's done so in a way that's uniquely her. And uh, nobody could even try to replicate that acting style. And uh, I think that's just her personality in real life as well. Um, so I think she was very well cast in this. It's a, it's a crime thriller. Um, it's about um, the socioeconomic divide that's so prevalent uh, in the United States, but also all around the world, and how um, some some groups of people, like their best friends, can um, you know, if someone might be fighting just to pay the bills, keep the lights on, keep food on the table, and then their best friend is you know living you know um, living in the Hamptons or something, right? And, yeah. and um, so just the way that this film or living with the Tillmans. Uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could not have said it better myself. Uh, <laughs> so the way this film depicts that um, was very um, felt very true to um, the world we're living yeah. in, and um, the it, the kind of um, crime underbelly that this movie explores reminded me of something that we would have seen in like Uncut Gems or uh, Good Time, the the Safdie brothers movies. Right. Um, and there's nothing glamorous at all about. The, the crime aspect of this is just people you know, fighting to survive and you know doing um, you know, morally questionable things um, just to um, ultimately find a way to move forward and live another day. Yeah, Emily, the criminal, and uh, what's your uh, what's your rating and, and what else really worked for you on this? Uh, it was a directorial debut for John Patton Ford, and uh, there was just a very you know, clear, distinct um, direction to this. Uh, you know. And imagination from him as a director and uh, so I think he's one to keep an eye on in the years moving forward and um, I actually had a chance to talk to the costume designer of this film uh, Amanda Lee and um, you know that was very very interesting conversation uh, talking about constructing the character designs for these people who come from very different um, yeah. socioeconomic backgrounds yeah um, and there were 
Um, that interview is actually on Elements of Madness if you want to go check that yeah, out. Yeah, and gave you some and, really good insight into the behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, most certainly. Um, Gina Gershon is actually in this film in a very small role, but it's it's a very pivotal role and yeah. marks a turning point in the narrative for you know, the character of Emily, which is Aubrey Plaza's character. Um, so I would say, like, it's very well cast and every single character is placed in... Um, placed at a point in the story that is, um, you know, none of it is wasted at all. Everything is used very efficiently. Um, and, you know, ultimately my grade for Inland the Criminal is going to be a uh, really strong B+. Plus, okay. And uh, I think it's one that I would recommend to uh, you know, fans of um, crime dramas and fa fans of, um, you know, just commentaries on the state of our world. Yeah, well, and it, and it is a film that's hitting film festival circuits as well. Uh, Annapolis Film Festival winner for Best Director, uh, best Feature Film, uh, Best Actor, uh, be, I'm sorry, Best Actress and Best Writer Director. So uh, John Patton Ford uh, got, so got a couple of awards there, and that was uh, Emily the Criminal B-plus rating for Thomas Manning. We are uh, out of time uh, right here on Meet Me in the Movies and really appreciate you spending time with us uh, and send in that non-viewer mail, info at c19.tv. Uh, we'll take it, and maybe we'll read it on there, uh, or, or maybe we'll just... Uh, delete it, um, which Greg likes to do. Um, he deletes people's phone numbers and just tells us, hey, I've deleted you. He sure does. That's yeah. what he told us that before the show. Uh, movie quote of the week. This comes from uh, the DC League of Super Pets. You can't have justice without truth. You can't have justice without truth. So, did they say it twice in the movie or did you just, <laughs> just do that once. for effect? I okay. just did it for effect, right. for, for impact, for emphasis. So until next time, for Thomas Manning, for Greg Tillman, uh, and for Elvis Gnomesley, uh, I'm Nolte Man of the Second for Meet Me in the Movies, and that is a wrap.